Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. In the NOCO is supported by Blue Federal Credit Union, with locations from Denver to Cheyenne, helping members tap into the power of community. More information at bluefcu.com. This is Colorado Edition from KUNC. On today's show, we check in with the mayor of Superior to hear about the recovery process in the aftermath of the Marshall Fire. And we explore water shortages in the Republican River and the economic impact these shortages are having on the agricultural producers who rely on the river's water. That's coming up. You're listening to KUNC's Colorado Edition. I'm Erin O'Toole. Before we get into today's show, we want to take a moment here to acknowledge that today marks one year since pro-Trump rioters stormed into the U.S. Capitol building in a failed attempt to prevent lawmakers from certifying the results of the 2020 presidential election. This morning, President Joe Biden addressed the nation from the Capitol to condemn the violent attack, likening it to a dagger at the throat of democracy. And earlier today, Colorado Democratic Representative Jason Crow presided over testimonials from members of Congress reflecting on the events a year ago and what has happened since. And Crow is marking the year anniversary by announcing several actions that he says will reaffirm the country's commitment to democracy, including the launch of a Democracy in Action toolkit that he hopes will help get people more involved in the democratic process, and the introduction of a resolution that would designate January 6th as Democracy Day. President Biden is also expected to travel to Boulder County tomorrow to meet with local officials and survivors of last week's Marshall Fire, which ripped through 6,000 acres of land and destroyed around 1,000 homes and other structures. Residents and public officials from impacted towns Louisville and Superior are starting to think and to talk about what recovery will look like. One of those is Clint Folsom, mayor of Superior. He joins us now to talk about what the last week has been like for Superior and how residents are processing. Mayor Folsom, thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Erin. Thanks for having me. I'd like to start by asking where you were when you first got word of the fires last week. I was actually on a ski lift in Breckenridge, taking a little time to enjoy the ski season and started getting messages on my phone, uh, got in touch with my family, made sure they were evacuating. And then I immediately headed back towards Superior and uh, arrived back in Superior around 4.30 p.m. Wow. Yeah, I don't think anyone expected a fire to break out pretty close to the end of the year. Um, And I know your family did evacuate. Were you uh, or anyone in your family impacted by the fire? Yes, unfortunately, my mom lost her house in the original town part of Superior. My sister-in-law lost a brand new house that they had just built in original town Superior, and they also had a second rental property in the Sagamore subdivision. So out of five different family members that lived in Superior, um, three of those homes were lost. So sorry to hear that. What has this last week been like for you? What kind of things are you doing every every day? 
it's really been nonstop. I've, it's been kind of a, a combination of um, responding to some media requests. It's been trying to keep up with the flow of emails, voicemails, attending meetings with uh, town management and also the uh, first responder groups that have set up to manage the crisis and now kind of transitioning into the recovery phase, uh, lots and lots of meetings. And uh, so lots of activity. I, I have been on this um, yeah, full-time, all day, every day, ever since. I can only imagine. How, do you, how are you feeling about the response so far from state officials uh, as well as from the Biden administration? I feel like the response has been tremendous. You know, it, it really started with uh, Governor Polis and uh, Representative Joe Negus working with our, our U.S. Senators uh, Bennett and Hickenlooper to get the uh, to get President Biden to sign the disaster declaration just the day after the fire, and that enabled uh, mobilization quickly of FEMA and, and other resources. And so, I I feel like the response has been tremendous. I've seen firsthand the number of first responders at our incident command center, and it's, it is quite a presence of, of assistance that has um, come in to help us out, and we really appreciate it. We've heard emergency officials and others, people just watching the response to the fire, uh, and they've noted how incredible it is that with tens of thousands of residents forced to flee the path of the fire, that there were very few people unaccounted for. Um, We do know, sadly, investigators found the remains of one person. They're still looking for another. But the evacuation really seemed to go as well as it possibly could. What are your thoughts on that evacuation? Do you wish anything uh, had been done differently or could have been done differently? I only wish there'd been more time for everybody to to get out, um, you know, hearing um, from my wife and family that were getting out, it was a complete traffic jam and gridlock. I mean, when you when you tell an entire town to leave, um, it's going. I don't know. There's any way to to properly manage that um, in a, in a way that it's not just a, a complete gridlock. And it it did take them. It took them hours to get um, out. And fortunately, the fire did not go in the direction of where everyone was sitting in their cars to get out of there. So we're we're lucky in that regard, and we're also lucky on the on the western side of town that um, sheriffs, officials, law enforcement uh, from other agencies were able to get everyone uh, notified and get out of there literally within minutes and. Uh, because if that had not happened or hadn't happened to the extent that it did, uh, there would have definitely been casualties. The Sagamore subdivision around 180 houses, um, every single house in there burned to the ground. And it was uh, very, very sudden. And how, how they all got out, I'm still not, I'm still not uh, aware of it. I think it was really a miracle. There's been a lot of concern about what housing will look like in the community now. Uh, The Front Range housing market, as we know, was already extremely tight. Now, with nearly a 1,000 homes gone, it will be even worse. Um, Also, I understand you own a real estate business. I'm wondering how you've been thinking about housing and what rebuilding looks like in Superior going forward. 
yes, it's going to be it's going to be difficult. I'm already hearing stories from people that are looking for temporary housing, rental, or or even a place to buy, and it's it's extremely tight. So that's going to be a challenge. I think we're going to have to get creative with. Uh, people looking at uh, basements, maybe they could help uh, rent out for a, a period of time just to allow people to stay somewhat close in the community. You know, and over the long term, the challenges are going to be getting getting these houses rebuilt. Uh, we had a lot of construction already going in Superior, uh, but the but those homes were getting sold about quicker than they could build them, and to think that we need to put a thousand more in the pipeline and kind of come up with procedures for, for getting all of that done efficiently. It's, it's going to be kind of a daunting task. I, I know everyone that lost their home wants it. They, they want to be back in as soon as possible. And it's, um, it's going to be a challenge for, for sure. Yeah, I'm wondering if you're looking at ways the, you know, town government can kind of help facilitate that process. We are going to be actively having those conversations, and it's, it really starts with the cleanup. Our town managers already had some conversations with Boulder County. They are a lot more equipped to deal with large-scale disasters than, than we are, but we're talking about a coordinated approach for cleanup. Certainly, um, cer- certainly some residents will want to tackle that task on their own and not have government involvement. And that is totally fine. These are private pieces of property and uh, homeowners are, are, are um, able to do as they want. But I think a large number of people will, will want and actually need the assistance of a coordinated effort. And we're looking to put that together from the town government level on the cleanup. And then on the rebuilding, we're, we're going to be having some discussions about that as well, just so that we can perhaps have a, a builder or multiple builders come in and, and help with the economies of scale of building multiple houses at the same time versus um, everyone trying to do this on their own, which would be an extraordinarily difficult task for, for most people. Do you expect there will be people who will be unable to rebuild or remain in Superior? I'm sure those thoughts and discussions are going on with with individuals. My my own mom is wondering, you know, do I want to do I want to stay here or go you know go somewhere else in the interim and you know perhaps come back when something's rebuilt or or some other properties available? But I think that's it's absolutely um, um, going to be a discussion on each individual level. We're speaking with Clint Folsom, mayor of Superior. Now, I know you've spent a lot of time touring the damage of the fire. What does it look like? What are you seeing? I looked at it kind of from two perspectives. When I returned to town on the the evening of the 30th, when the fires, that was the day the fires broke out last week, and I toured with um, sheriff sergeant and town manager in a patrol vehicle, and we drove through areas that had just recently burned and were still um, still on fire. We saw new fires start and, and homes explode throughout the evening and night. And then, you know, the next day, most of the fires were pretty much out, just still smoldering. That was the day before the snow came. And it's just complete devastation in in 
several areas, it, uh, particularly the, the Sagamore subdivision, every single home's gone. Our original town, part of Superior, had a lot of really unique history from the coal mining era. Superior and our neighboring city of Louisville were both coal mining towns 100 years ago. And so there were some really unique architecture, of small little bungalow houses that were still around. And, and one in particular was our we had a really nice historical museum that had a lot of great artifacts from the mining days burned to the ground and a lot of other structures that were really unique um, also burned to the ground. And so it's, it's really, that part is um, extraordinarily sad in addition to just kind of knowing as I was driving around, seeing these homes that were burned to the ground is like associating with friends that I knew. And it was just really hard to, to know that, um, that their homes that they cared so much about were gone. President Biden is expected to travel to the area tomorrow and Saturday to get a look at the damage. Will you meet with him? Uh, and and what, what do you want him to know? I am very pleased that he's um, taking the time to, to stop by uh, Boulder County and take a look at this devastation. I think it's um, it will bring um, continued um, focus on the situation that we have on the ground here. So I, I do appreciate um, his attention um, to our situation. I don't know whether I'll get to meet with him. I would I would love that opportunity, but um, I'm just kind of waiting for further instructions. I, um, I've not been given uh, any information other than uh, he will be here at some point tomorrow. When you became mayor, I mean, did you ever imagine dealing with a natural disaster like these fires? No, did not. I, I never really thought I would be uh, declaring um, states of emergency for our town. And now it's happened twice in my term as mayor. First with COVID, we declared an uh, emergency for that situation. And actually never, uh, we have not still rescinded that um, declaration of emergency. We were still operating under a uh, declaration of emergency for COVID. And now we have an, uh, another one for this fire. It's, um, it's, yeah, definitely something I did not expect. Well, Mayor Folsom, what are some of the next steps uh, in terms of the recovery effort that you're going to be focusing on? Sure. We're going to be having a series of meetings uh, starting uh, this evening, kind of a coordinated meeting of the community, Superior Louisville and uh, Boulder County. And starting to you know, um, present updates to the community and um, offer an opportunity for question and answer. And there'll be another another one on Sunday afternoon, or yeah, Sunday afternoon with um, some state legislators. And, um, and then we have a regular board meeting on Monday night. So we've got several meetings coming up and there'll be some opportunities for important updates to the community listening to the community to kind of hear what their immediate concerns are, what their longer term concerns are. We have a good idea of, of what those are. I mean, the immediate needs are housing for those that have been displaced. And then the longer term needs are how do we rebuild and how and what pieces do we need to be assisting with to, um, to the rebuilding effort? Is there anything else that I didn't ask her anything that you would like us to know. We have a disaster assistance center that has been opened 
in Lafayette. It is a building that uh, Boulder County owns and they very quickly outfitted that to serve as our disaster assistance center. FEMA is there and a number of other state and local agencies and aid groups are there to offer a whole menu of recovery resources to our residents and just uh, want to make sure that people are aware of that facility. It's open uh, every day and um, there's uh, details on uh, on the town of superiors website and, and many others so just uh, want people to take advantage of those resources and um, make sure that uh, people are taken care of we just our, our hearts go out to everyone impacted by this situation whether they lost a home or they were displaced for a while whether you know, whatever the situation i just want to make want to make sure that people are aware that we've got a lot of great resources out there Clint Folsom is the mayor of Superior. Mayor Folsom, thanks for being here and all the best as you move forward. Thank you for having me and thank you for the continued coverage. We appreciate it. Just ahead, we'll explore the economic and environmental challenges facing down the Republican River on the eastern side of the state. You're listening to Colorado Edition from KUNC. The Colorado River gets its share of attention, but it's not the only multi-state river that starts in Colorado. And it's definitely not the only one facing a water shortage. On the eastern side of the Continental Divide is the Republican River. Flowing through the cropland of Yuma County, it also feeds into Kansas and Nebraska. In the first of a three-part series, KUNC's Adam Reyes has more on the economic and environmental challenges the river basin faces and how that's impacting those who rely on it. I recently visited the Republican River's South Fork in southeast Yuma County. But as I approached the bumpy blue line where my GPS told me the river should be, nothing. No flowing water in that riverbed. Wanting to learn and see more, I hopped in Deb Daniels' truck the next day. Growing up, the Republican River sustained her family's farm. So the thing is, if we were to go upstream four or five miles, there's flow. Water still flows for most of the Republicans' 453-mile stretch, like on the North Fork in the northwest part of the county, where it flows all year. But back down here... There's so much trees that's grown up in that area, and it's so filled in with silt that it completely disappears. Something Daniel is acutely aware of as the river's conservation district manager. Eventually, we reach a bridge overlooking the Bonnie Dam and a basically empty reservoir. This was a, a, a drop spot for a, a, a resting place for waterfowl as they were migrating back and forth. And uh, th it was so haunting that last year that we had water here. That was 2011, the year the state drained the reservoir to help fulfill the terms of an 80-year-old compact with Kansas and Nebraska. This place is particularly striking because the plains fold down into a V-shaped hole that snakes into the back of this dam. Signs of erosion remain, scars of flows long past. Cranes and geese and ducks and, and, uh, and now it's all gone. It's really depressing. Climate change, drought and more threaten the rest of the river. The North Fork naturally sent about half as much water across the Colorado-Nebraska border in the last decade as it did in the 1960s. Every year it's going down. 
We cannot let that completely dry up like this has. In 2017, the six Colorado counties that rely on the river for irrigation brought in nearly $2 billion in agriculture sales, almost a third of the state's total ag production value. As the North Fork flows decrease, people who farm these plains stand to lose their livelihoods. Some, like Joyce Kettleson, are already starting to. As farmers, we did feel like we were out there fighting a losing battle. Kittleson raised pumpkins here with her husband, Phil, for about three decades. After he died suddenly five years ago, she tried to maintain the family farm with her son, but... I just could not figure out how to pay the taxes, pay the water costs, pay the insurance, and make it all work out. It just doesn't support that. And, you know, a livelihood for my son and I. Two-thirds of their farmland sold to larger farming operations in 2021. Her son manages what's left without her. They also sealed up one of their wells as use costs rose and the water level in it dropped dramatically. The wells are not as capable as they were. Low river flows are partially the result of water in the ground surrounding it being used up, mostly to irrigate farms. And in turn, the groundwater isn't replenished because the river has limited water. It sounds like the factors you were weighing there were the water longevity for the community mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. your family's economic security. Right, correct. Exactly. How did you make that choice? You base it on your family's economic security because we want to continue to stay here. But with their well getting so low? I mean, I don't know that it... It ended up really being a choice. It was just like the only way. More farmers will have to seal off wells too, and not just because they lack water. An agreement between the river's three states requires Colorado to shut down 10,000 irrigated acres by 2024. I don't think it's a great solution, but at this point, it seems like it's the only solution. Most of it has to happen near the South Fork. Despite the River Conservation District offering to pay farmers to stop irrigating, just a third of the goal has been met. I wouldn't call it resistant. I, I think they know what needs to be done. That's Nate Midcap. He manages several local groundwater management districts. The state engineer certainly has a history of proving that he's not afraid to turn off wells to meet compact compliance. Last November, the River Conservation District Board voted to double water use fees so they could also more than double the amount they offer to farmers who shut off irrigation. They've known that they've needed to retire them for eight to 10 years, but the actual process of getting the fee increase has taken at least nine months. What was the holdup there? People don't like to spend money, right? They want to do their business as cheap as possible for as long as possible, and there's human nature to just wait till the last minute until you absolutely have to do something and, and, and we're kind of at that point. In his spacious office in downtown Ray, giant maps line the walls. Three were depicting kind of where the water is sitting underneath the ground. So imagine it like a lake, the deepest part would be the yellow. He points to a large yellow splotch extending from the state's eastern border on the first map, labeled 1975 then to a smaller one on a map labeled 2000, then one forecasting 2028. It will continue to shrink until they either pump it out or find an alternative to get some water in here. As dire as those maps seem, the cattle rancher later added he has a lot of hope. He thinks Yuma County can sustain itself on the remaining groundwater for another century. But they have to work through the bigger issues of 
the basin. Midcap's confident enough irrigated acres will be shut down by the 2024 deadline, but another 15,000 must shut down by 2029. He's less confident about that. We're between a rock and a sword. There is no other option. That's Republican River Water Conservation District Manager Deb Daniel again. If we don't get this done, the state of Kansas could virtually force our state engineer to shut off irrigated ag in northeast Colorado. And we can't let that happen. The actions needed to fulfill the compact, protect the river, and keep the agricultural economic backbone of these communities strong can intersect, she says though they are often at odds. But at the same time, I have blood of these producers running through my veins because you have to be proactive or you're not going to survive. But Daniel says the Republican River will likely never return to its former glory here. At this point, it's all just about mitigating losses. Adam Reyes, KUNC. That story was produced in part by the America Amplified Initiative. America Amplified is a national public media collaboration focused on community engagement reporting. In our next story, we'll explore the history of the Republican River Basin in Colorado. Since the 1930s, officials and residents have been forced to make tough decisions in the Republican River Basin as flows decrease and legal threats loom. Folks banded together. They did, a, uh, I think, a great job looking at everything they could to try to make the best of a worse, bad situation. But I think all in all, when I reflect back on it, I, I don't know if there's too much more we could have done differently. You can also find our reporting on the Republican River at our website, KUNC.org. That's our show for today. Tomorrow on Colorado Edition, we'll hear from a family of survivors who lost their home in the Marshall Fire about what recovery looks like for them. I'm Erin O'Toole. Our production team includes Henry Zimmerman and Tess Novotny. Our digital editor is Jackie High. Brian Larson is our executive producer. Thanks so much for listening. This is Colorado Edition from KUNC. KUNC.